Welcome to the New Providence Presbyterian Church podcast, where we will share our messages from our weekend worship services. We hope these messages will inspire you and challenge you in your walk with Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. It is so good to see you guys this morning, and it is my honor and privilege to be able to share with you continuing Mark chapter 5, which is a passage near and dear to my heart. So we're going we're gonna to pick up the action where we left off. Last week, we saw how Jesus went there and met a man who was demon-possessed, a man that nobody wanted, a man that nobody wanted to talk to, encounter, for many, many reasons, and Jesus went there. And this week is a continuation of that. And, I mean, I love sandwiches. Does anyone else love sandwiches? I know. I'm, I'm I, mm, Avenue Deli. Anyway, okay. So sandwiches are one of Mark's specialties. He loves encompassing stories and bringing a special value to that. So we're going to dive in into this miracle sandwich presented to you by Mark. So let's pick up the action in Mark 5, 21. Follow with me. The words will be on the screen. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up from behind him and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around into the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you asked, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Can you say that with me? Don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. I am believing with the Holy Spirit that this is a word that was given directly to Jairus for that specific moment, but it is also a word for the church today. Church, don't be afraid, just believe. God is on the move and breakthrough is coming. Once again, we see Jesus, as we've read through the narrative of Mark, Jesus was an interruptible guy. And I, I'm going to be very, very honest with you. I try to be very patient, and I try to, like, slow down. I mean, my kind of lifestyle is, let's go, let's get it, who's with me, you know? And that's just kind of how I go from a day-to-day basis. And God has been challenging me, and he has been saying, Audrey, you got to slow down. you got to slow down. Be interruptible. I've been reading through the Old Testament, and many, many times God says to his people, be holy because I am holy. And I am believing that Jesus is saying, be interruptible as I am interruptible. (laughs) He wants us to slow down. 
And I mean, this really struck me when I went down to Mississippi this past week. Guys, have you ever been down south? I mean, it's, it's a much more leisurely pace of life. I was down there getting coffee, and I remember, you know, I had a meeting. I had to meet with one of the ministry partners. I was ready to go, and when I don't have my coffee in the morning, I'm a little like, okay, guys, like, let's go. And they were like, well, how's your mom, and how's your dad? And I'm like, you don't know me. Like, can I have my coffee? And, you know, in that moment, I just, like, really felt God say, like, he's the, the bird, like, that's my child. Why are you in a rush? Why are you in a rush? And then I started thinking, man, how many God moments must we miss out on because we're just too in a hurry? Because we just don't have the time to stop and look people in the eye and say, hey, I missed you. How are you? God created us to be in community and fellowship. So we see Jairus. He was a synagogue leader, and a synagogue leader was kind of like, like a modern-day kind of like pastor. He was in charge of the business affairs of the church, getting everything in order. And if we know anything about religious leaders from what we've been learning is that they did not like Jesus. They were not supposed to go to Jesus. Jesus was this radical outcast dude who was saying all of these different things that just weren't lining up with what the synagogue believed. But his daughter was dying. He had a need that couldn't be fulfilled in the synagogue. He had a need that couldn't be fulfilled by his other peers. He had a need, and he said, you know what? I think I have to go to Jesus. He was desperate. So he left his title. He left his position. He left his status, and he's like, I'm going to risk it. I'm going to risk it, and I'm going to go to Jesus. And he was like, you know Jesus, if you, just, if you just come with me and if you put your hands on my daughter, I know that she'll be healed. And Jesus, being the interruptible guy that he is, he went. And on their way, he was interrupted yet again. And now onto the scene, we have a woman. So follow with me for a little bit. A woman who remained nameless. A woman who was labeled by her condition a woman who suffered hemorrhaging for 12 years. And let's dive into that for a second. I mean, women, real talk, for just a second. I mean, it's rough. It can be rough. And the people around who are not experiencing know not to mess with you during that time too. Can you imagine 12 years? 12 years of continual pain, agony, discomfort. And that's just the physical aspect. Now let's bring into it the Levitical law that was governing at the time. Because she was bleeding, she was considered ceremonially unclean. Now in the book of Leviticus, this outlines if a woman is in her cycle, no one can touch her. She cannot touch anyone. She must not come into contact with anyone. She is considered unclean until she is done and then seven days after. And if the bleeding prolongs, then the extension of the time she's considered unclean also is extended. This woman could not come into contact with anyone for 12 years. I mean, that's a long time 
to be cast away. That's a long time. This woman was ostracized, marginalized, cast out from all aspects of society. And she definitely couldn't participate in any of the worship because she wouldn't be allowed to come in because she was unclean. She was just as outcast as the man that we talked about last week, the demon-possessed man. Only his was a little more visible. I mean, if you saw a naked dude running around the tombstones here on Springfield Ave, you'd be like, what is going on? Her condition was a little more concealed unless you knew. But she tried everything. And my question to you is, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt so consumed by something way out of your control and you try so hard to just, you know, fake it till you make it or just to get by and and you try so hard to put on the right face, to put on the right clothes, to say the right thing, to show up the right way, to do this the right time while desperately seeking some sort of relief and, and healing on the inside, longing for things to be made right. The Bible says that she spent everything she had on all different types of doctors. And when Luke talks about it in his gospel, he was a doctor. So he was like, she spent everything. And I mean, we know that doctor bills are, (laughs) they're a lot. This woman spent everything she had. And we do the same thing. When something's wrong with a part of our body, we go to the doctor. And if we're kind of unsure, we go and we get a second opinion. And if we're unsure about that, we go get a second opinion. And she did the same thing. And you know what? If we, I know for a fact that we do that for our physical bodies, we also do that with our spiritual self, with our souls. When things aren't going quite right, oh, I'm going to go to Dr. Alcohol and numb the pain because that works. Oh, I'm going to go over here to Dr. Sex and Pleasure because I know that this will make me feel good and loved and it's going to be all okay. Okay, no, you know what? I'm feeling really worthless, so I'm going to pick up this book on self-help, and and Dr. Phil's going to tell me what to do. It's going to be great. (laughs) Meanwhile, our souls, every single one of us, are crying out desperately for Jesus, the only one who can heal. So this woman caught wind, and she's like, I heard Jesus is in town. I I have, he's my answer. I have to do something. And I can just imagine the dialogue that was kind of going on in her head. Let's, Let's imagine this together. Okay, I know I have to get to Jesus. Okay, but if I touch him, then he'll become ceremonially unclean, and we can't do that. He's a rabbi. If I go out into the crowd, someone might recognize me, and they're gonna call me out, so that won't work. Um, okay, how, how am I gonna get to Jesus? She was probably weighing the pros and the cons, and and ultimately she came to the decision, you know what? I'm just going to sneak on behind him. I'm going to cover myself. No one's going to know. I'm going to touch his clothes. I'm not going to touch him so he doesn't become unclean. I'm just going to touch his clothes, and I'm going to be healed. I'm going to do this. Every Jewish man, every devout Jew, wore an outer robe that had four tassels on the robe. And the tassel signified a promise made from Numbers chapter 15. And it signified to the person who was wearing the robe, as well to everyone else who saw, oh, that person's wearing the robe with the tassels. It signified that they were of the chosen people of God. 
So she said, if I just touch this tassel, it's gonna be, it's gonna be okay. So I need to picture that scene. Crowds everywhere. Jesus is walking, let's not forget about Jairus, right? He's walking there, they're on a mission. And this woman goes and she presses on against all odds, against all the looks, against all the, is that the woman? That can't be the one. She's not allowed to be here. Who is this person? Against all of that until she got to Jesus. And it was so worth it. You know why? Because when she got there, Jesus looked at her. And he didn't call her out by her condition. He didn't call her out by her disease. He didn't call her out by what she had suffered. He looked at her and he said, Daughter, daughter, with a capital D. He gave her a name, he gave her identity. Daughter, daughter. The tassels on his rope signified belonging to the people of God. And all of a sudden, this woman who was a no one went and she touched the Messiah. She got her healing and she received belonging. At the end of the day, isn't that what we're all looking for? When we go to all these different doctors to satisfy our soul, let's search a little deeper. You just want to belong. Me too. Just trying to fit in. I'm just trying to find my place in the world. Well, stop looking so hard. He's here right now. Jesus is here. You're not just here. You're not randomly here. You're not just here checking off a box. Jesus is here. And he wants to encounter you. Now Jesus felt power flow from out of him. And he was like, who touched me? It's kind of funny. The disciples are like, Jesus, seriously? Like, look at all these people. What do you mean who touched you? And he's like, no, someone touched me. St. Augustine says of this story, he commented on this, and he said, flesh presses, but faith touches. I'll say that again. Faith, flesh presses, faith touches. So my question to you, are you just a part of the pressing crowd? Are you just kind of just, you know, bumping into Jesus? Or are you actively seeking his presence, church? Are you just pressing up against the motions? Or are you here to encounter the living God? She touched him and she was immediately healed. And then Jesus says, who did it? And I can, I can just imagine the pit that must have formed in her stomach. She went, remember, she went in secret. She's like, I can't touch him because, you know, he'll be unclean and I can't go before him because I'm a woman. But if I just go, you know, if I sneak behind him, grab his tassel, I'm going to be okay. All of a sudden, Jesus is like, who touched me? And she's like, gah, rats. <laughs> I've been exposed. And, and she comes with fear and trembling because she's afraid of what everyone's going to say of what Jesus, the rabbi, the teacher, is going to say to her for an unclean woman touching the master. But he does this not to shame her, 
not to call her out, not to say you should have known better. Why did you do that? You, you knew that was wrong. No. He did it so he could look her in the face and say, daughter, 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 your faith has healed you. Your faith. He does it to call her out just so that everyone in the place could know that she was actually healed. Now she could be restored to community. Now she didn't have to be an outcast anymore. Now she could belong. He did it so that everyone could know. And he did it to ignite faith among everyone that was there. Faith. There was a Jewish kind of superstition back then that if you touched the cloth or the clothes or something of someone anointed, of someone holy, then you would carry that anointing with you. So Jesus makes it very clear, oh, no, 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 it wasn't the cloak that healed you. It was your faith. Your faith. Your faith. Now, meanwhile, let's not forget, Jesus was on a mission with Jairus. And I can imagine Jairus standing there like, lady, good for you, but Jesus, my daughter is dying. Jairus was not as interruptible as Jesus or me in Mississippi. Jesus, did you forget? Jesus, did you forget what, like, what we were doing? Jesus, thank you for her, but what about me? Have you ever been there? Because I have sitting with my arms crossed, wondering why God has forgotten about me. Wondering if there's anything that I've done wrong that deserves this silence from God. Meanwhile, I forget that God's timing is so perfect, so beyond my limited comprehension. People from Jairus' house came and told Jairus, hey man, stop bothering Jesus, your, your daughter's dead. Like the passage says, overhearing these words, in the original Greek translation, the more accurate way, the parukin, it means um, not just overhearing, but ignoring. Ignoring these words, ignoring this bad news. Jesus looks at Jairus and he says, don't be afraid, just believe. In the midst of the crowd, all of a sudden, Jairus was back with Jesus, eyes locked with the master, and he was saying, don't be afraid, just believe. And then in the original Greek, this word for believe is more accurately translated as a continued call to keep believing. So Jairus, don't be afraid, keep believing. Church, as we said in the beginning, God is calling us as a church to not be afraid, to be fearless, not in my own merit, not in my own strength, in Jesus Christ. And he's calling me to an act of continued faith and belief not just for a certain situation, not for a certain moment, not for a certain outcome. Please, Jesus, I'll be faithful if you do this. No, a continued call to believing in the wonderful and holy and matchless name of Jesus Christ. So let's pick up the action here in the remaining verses. 
verse 37. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, and the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the, the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and he said to her, Talita kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. The child is not dead. She is asleep. What a stunning declaration. Was Jesus delirious? Was he nuts? Was he crazy? Was he in denial? No. He was looking into a reality far beyond our comprehension. As Isaiah 55 says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are so much higher than your ways. He was seeing something in his reality as a Messiah, as Savior. So picture this commotion. All these all these wailers and criers and the Jewish custom they actually hired these people they were professional criers I could totally be one <laughs> if anyone needs one sign me up now so professional noisemakers when someone died to exemplify you know the, the 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 mourning and the crying and the more the more higher in position you were you had more money to get more mourners so there was there was a commotion happening at Jairus's house, but note this. They had no idea what they were doing. One moment they were crying, Jesus is like, guys, stop, she's just sleeping. They're like, okay, Jesus. The wailing immediately turned to laughter and mocking, and what does Jesus do? He kicks him out. He's like, be gone, get out of here. Now, in my own personal life, I have seen how the enemy sends his professional noisemakers to block out the truth of Jesus' words in my life. And if I let them stay on my front yard wailing and crying, I go into, like, desperation mode, and I start going to all of these different doctors trying to find my peace because there's so much noise blocking out the truth of Jesus. But Jesus is saying, see the noise, hear it, Call it out and tell it to be gone. Be gone. Because we cannot hear or experience the truth of Jesus with all that noise. And then breaking another impurity law, Jesus walks into the room where the dead girl is laying. And he doesn't just stop there, but wait, there's more. He grabs her hand. He touches a dead body grabs her hand and he says talita kum little girl little lamb in aramaic i say to you get up and this get up is the same that we've been hearing over and over again through the gospel of mark arise like when someone gets up from the dead awaken and the little girl who was 12 years old gets up and starts walking around jesus brought her back to life and that is what he does when we come with our souls so desperate and encounter the living God. 
we are brought back to life. And if you haven't experienced that yet, and you want to, come talk to us. There is living power in Jesus, only in Jesus. Jesus, who already showed his authority over demons and diseases, now showed his authority over death. And that was just a foreshadow of what was to come. And we're going to get into that whole story as we approach the season of Lent. So, to wrap this up, let, let's take a step back, because that was, whew, this is why it's called a sandwich. It started off with Jairus, we get interrupted to the woman, and then we end with Jairus, all at one giant miracle sandwich here. Let's take a step back and take it all in for a second. Jairus had 12 years of a beautiful life with his 12-year-old daughter. This woman had 12 years of agony. Jairus was an important man. This woman was no one, she didn't have a name. Jairus was probably wealthy because he was an important man, and this woman had nothing because she had spent it all. Jairus came publicly before Jesus to ask his request. The woman came in secret. She was too ashamed. They both thought they needed a physical touch from Jesus. Jesus responded to Jairus' request with delay, but he responded to the woman's request immediately. Jairus came publicly, but received his miracle in private. The woman came secretly, but was honored in public. In different points of my life, I have felt like Jairus. In different points of my life, I have felt like this woman. Who are you in this story? No matter who you think you might relate to, the one truth is, and it's the truth that will never get old, it will never go out of style, it will never fade. The truth of humanity is that we need Jesus. And friends, this is hope-filled breaking news. Just as Jesus walked through the streets, he is here today, and he wants to encounter you. He's here, and he loves you. He's here, and he wants to look you square in the eye and call you son and daughter and give you belonging because in him, all things are new. In him, there is healing. In him, there is abundance. In him. And it might not look exactly like this. It might not be the request that we want. It might not be the answer we want. It might not be in the timing that we want, but you can rest in one thing is that Jesus is good. He's good, and he's never going to change that. And when we surrender to his will, we might not understand, but we can rest that he is good. So friends, this week I want to leave you with, with one thing to remember. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what your background is, what your socioeconomic status is, what your political background is. Jesus wants to encounter you right here, right now, to heal you, to bring you back to life for the purpose of restoring you to community and restoring you to the Father. And one thing to do, ask God this week to help you identify things in your life that are making you fear and not believe. All that noise, all the wailing, ask God, what is it? Once you identify it, 
pray in the name of Jesus, I, I command you to leave. And I declare the peace and the truth of Jesus. Just like the man who spoke to Jesus, that Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. Pray that prayer this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. You are kind. You are true. You are real. So this morning, we come as Jairus, and we come as this woman recognizing our desperate need for you. So Holy Spirit, come in this room, invade our space, and help us to see you for who you really are. We open our hearts to you, God. We ask for healing physically, because we believe that you can do it, and we ask for healing spiritually, deep, deep inside our souls, God. Come and do it again, Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.